This is a presentation of Patterson Media. Amplify Canada is an initiative created by Patterson Media. It's designed to celebrate and elevate small businesses, the backbone of our economy. Thousands of small businesses, groups, family organizations, and individuals are showcased on Patterson Media radio stations from Winnipeg to Vancouver throughout the year. Every month, we go deeper and share the incredible journey of a few that have made an impact on their community. Some have flourished. Others may need a little extra love and support. These are their stories. Welcome to Amplify Canada. Each episode, we highlight local musicians. This time, it's FKA Rain with heart-wrenchingly relatable lyrics. She's making her mark in the alternative music scene. I'll introduce you to FKA Rain at the end of the podcast. On this show, those that represent the backbone of the Canadian economy could be shutting their doors permanently because of COVID-19. I believe that pandemic was a bit of a blessing and a curse to us because I'm not sure that we would exist had it not happened, but it definitely threw a lot of wrenches and gotten our gears. Janelle Zielinski took a risk and pushed herself to start a diaper business during the pandemic. The why and how coming up. We got to the point where We couldn't bake for anyone anymore because no one was ordering. And by this point, it was six months into the pandemic. And we were like, okay, if if we don't make a move now, like our business won't be able to continue. Like it'll die right here. Managing a wholesale baked goods business when everything is shutting down forced Jade Hatfield and Joel Murga to reinvent their business. But that meant brand new opportunities. I was working as a financial planner for a large financial institution. I was looking for opportunities to exit and potentially look for entrepreneurial ventures that I could get into. Devin Goss made a leap of faith and started Blue Planet, a waste disposal company in Calgary, Alberta. We'll hear how he found a niche market and changed his life. So I had had a paycheck for 25 years. I was a single mom, I had two kids that I still needed to get through university, still had a mortgage. It was age 50, but I came up with the idea of starting my own company. That's Susie York, founder and CEO of Love Good Fats. Her reinvention is one amazing success story, which will unfold throughout this episode. Personal reinvention is so important because it's a process and you create more success and happiness the more you do it. You don't have to wait for the outcome for the reinvention to happen. Hi there, I'm Linda Freeman, your host for Amplify Canada. The changes experienced through the pandemic changed the way we worked and a lot of people and businesses were finding new avenues. There are many stories of resilience, adaptability and creative thinking allowing businesses to pivot and thrive. Now, research suggests that Canadians may hold about 15 jobs in a lifetime today. But this is not usually the plan for small business owners. You start a company and you plan to make that business work. But the pandemic forced many into a new way of thinking. And that has meant some reinvention for a lot of people. To be honest, some creative ideas have come out of the pandemic. 
things business owners may not have thought of and are now better businesses because of. On this episode, we explore the reinvention of business. This country is built on small businesses. Let's listen to the stories of the changes people have made and the new small businesses emerging because of reinvention. Invent yourself and then reinvent yourself. Don't swim in the same slough. Invent yourself and then reinvent yourself and stay out of the clutches of mediocrity. In the southern part of British Columbia is the city of Kelowna. It's situated in the Okanagan Valley on the eastern shore of Okanagan Lake. A beautiful setting, surrounded by provincial parks, pine forests, vineyards, orchards, and mountains. There is a lakeside cultural district and a waterfront city park, and it's home to Jade and Joel's Baking Company. This story starts with how a young life was changed with one diagnosis, and how that eventually led to a baking company. So let's start with how life was for you, Joel. When I was 10 years old, I was diagnosed with celiac disease and I grew up doing like the elimination diet and my poor two parents, they would take me to doctor's appointments, to naturopaths, to anywhere I could get help because I was having a really difficult time eating and keeping food down and I was pretty much like skin and bone. So they finally figured out that I couldn't have gluten and I couldn't have dairy and I couldn't have eggs and a whole bunch of other things. We finally started getting some foods, but it was mainly just like rice and vegetables and some different types of proteins. Such a challenge and so hard as a kid, always feeling left out. No birthday cake? Yeah, when I was a kid, I definitely felt left out just because there was so many different things that I couldn't have. And I remember one of the stories that my mom will always tell is... I came home one day and I was crying because I really wanted Tim Horton's Timbits. And she always says that I I broke her heart that day. And that's the day where she went out, got a whole bunch of magazines. She got a whole bunch of cookbooks about gluten-free. She still has them today and she always shows me them. And she would spend hours in the kitchen just trying to make me something. And I would sick for six to eight months. I would sit in the kitchen with her. So my mom was a big inspiration for me. And all that time, observing, being inspired, and that led you to help others, making sure no one else would feel left out. I remember when we were just about to open up the bakery, I was crying because I was so excited to offer these kind of treats to kids that don't really know what a donut tastes like or a scone or square or, you know, something that's sweet and delicious. Do you feel that way too, Jade? Yeah, I love getting people in and they're, they're um, like, oh my God, I haven't had a donut in like 10 years. And it makes me so happy just to see the look on their faces when they come in. Yeah. Or they come in and they're like, what's gluten-free? Like everything. Oh, what's vegan? I'm like everything. We still have that everywhere. Everything vegan and gluten-free. Now, before we go any further, I have to ask, how did you two meet? Jade and I have been high school sweethearts since grade 10. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, we were 14 years old and we've been project partners. (laughs) We were partners in every single class that we were in. We took classes all together. We did labs together. 
We've been together for nine, nine years. years. <laughs> We're getting married next year. That is so fantastic. Well, you are both so young starting this endeavor. Like you mentioned the bakery, and this is the reinvention that you had to make, which is interesting because during the pandemic, you opened a retail store. So let's start from the point that you got into developing your own gluten-free baked goods. I wanted to do gluten protein treats, and I thought I could do a really good job. So I decided to bake a few things. And I took them over to Jade, and I was like, Jade, look, I want to go to the markets. I want to sell these treats, and I want you to taste test them and let me know what you think. And she tried them, and... <laughs> oh, they were so bad. <laughs> they were... <laughs> They were something else. <laughs> um, you did your best, though. Yeah, I, mean, I tried yeah. my best with what I had. <laughs> so a lot of trial and error perfecting recipes, like the flavor, that consistency, and then throw in learning how to develop and run a business. We kind of just learned how to do the proper protocols and everything. Neither of us have gone to school for business or for baking. We kind of just figured it out and learned as we went. The good thing about us is we're really critical with our product. We remember what non-vegan gluten-free stuff tastes like, so we're pretty critical. Like, we don't put it out on the market unless it's better than what isn't originally vegan or gluten-free. So we let our product do most of the talking. We're like, just try it. Trust me, like, it's good. And once they had a donut, they were sold. A couple years of wholesale and getting into grocery stores, local markets, and then the pandemic hits and things just come to a crawl. But this was the moment of your reinvention. It got a lot harder because all of our stores, all of our wholesale, which was 90% of our business, closed down too. And so we got to the point where we couldn't bake for anyone anymore because no one was ordering. And by this point, it was six months into the pandemic. And we were like, okay, if, if we don't make a move now, like our business won't be able to continue. Like it'll die right here. And we worked way too hard for too long to let it die there. So we took a jump. We negotiated our lease space. We got in. We opened October 2020. And it's been amazing <laughs> since yeah. then. It's been crazy. I can't believe it's been, oh my gosh, two years already. It doesn't feel like it. And we're currently looking at opening up a second retail location now. And Joel, you have a biochemistry molecular engineering background. <laughs> Feels like a bit of Breaking Bad, only not illegal. Yeah. Yeah, he scienced the crap out of our bread recipe. <laughs> yeah. When it comes to like yeast baking, I would say that's where my strength lies. And when it comes to like cakes and pretty much everything else besides yeast is all jade. Yeah, I, I can't do yeast. I don't know why it doesn't work for me. Yeah. Everything else I'm great at. Uh, but yeah, Joel's a master with the yeast. So you went from making great products to selling at the markets to getting into wholesale and then you reinvent your business by opening up a retail location that has proven to be super successful all before the age of 30. Well done. So what's next? We really dream about opening up as many locations as we can. And one day we can dream about franchising. We can dream about if we get that big. I hope we do. <laughs> yeah, we have a lot of people who want us in Calgary. <laughs> So would you look at having like a main location that could do all the production? That's actually what we're currently in the process of doing right now is we're trying to open up another location where we can mass produce more products so we can get more of our cupcakes, more of our like donuts, our breads, our bagels into grocery stores. 
but we just can't do it yet because our current location is just maxed out. We don't have the capacity to take on more clients at this time in the space that we're in. Yeah. But yeah, the space that we're going into has just a better layout for wholesale production. So that's what we're trying to focus on next. Well, Joel's focus is wholesale, mine's mostly retail. We definitely dream of having our products wholesale across Canada. And then um, we want to open up as many kind of little retail locations as we can. And I'm sure you will. You're definitely bringing much joy to your community by providing treats and smiles. Thank you both. Thank you. Yeah. And I really appreciate the opportunity to be able to share our story. We like to anchor these podcasts with some expert advice, insight, and a great story. In this podcast, we hear from Susie York, who after 20 years of following a low-fat diet, found the secret to a healthy, balanced diet that changed the trajectory of her life. Her recipe and her bars are just unbelievable. So great to connect with you, Susie. Can we start with how you reinvented yourself at 50? It was on this very same dining room table that I came up with the idea of starting my own company. So I had had a paycheck for 25 years. I was a single mom. I had two kids that I still needed to get through university, still had a mortgage. But I had worked in marketing for 25 years, so I knew a lot about building brands. And then I read a book called The Big Fat Surprise by Nina Teicholz, and that changed my life. It was the first book really written in North America that confirmed that we'd been misinformed for 40 years, that fats were indeed good, and we were told they were not good. So at age 50, when I read the book, I changed my diet right away, and I started eating fats again and really cutting way down on sugar. And I noticed an immediate change in my health. So I then decided, okay, well, how do we tell the world this? And the world did not need another book written because by then there was dozens and dozens of books were coming out. And I figured, hey, I'm a brand builder. Might as well build a brand. So it kind of really started like that, like my mission to build a brand, to get the message out. Deep inside, I was like, Can I make this a billion dollar brand? Then I will be able to also do my part to affect change. So that's kind of how it started. And that was the start of Love Good Fats, a fabulous line of foods that satisfied your taste buds and embraced this new way of eating. And you were able to find a balance between good fat, fiber, and deliciousness. And I know because I do honestly love your line. How do you use your 25-year career in brand building to help you pivot into a new career as an entrepreneur? I started writing down the concepts of the idea, the positioning of the idea. What I had done essentially for 25 years for other brands, I started doing it for my own brand. So what would the concept be? What's the insight? What's the benefit? What are the reasons to believe the benefit? What would the pricing be? What will the packaging look like? So I started putting all my time in doing that on my own brand instead of all these other brands that I worked on in the past. So I have a lot of experience doing that. So that really helped me, but that was still very safe, right? Then I had to do all the other stuff. I had to say, well, I'm starting a company, everything from trademarking the company, trademarking the brand, opening a business bank account and figuring out how to pay us vendors to getting a killer product. So I did five rounds of research. I optimize, optimize, optimize. But I knew how to do that with my eyes closed. You get consumer feedback in quant research. You improve it. You change this. You change that. You work with your packaging agency, just small little, you know, agency because it was all my own money. Which is scary. 
investing your own capital. How did you develop the actual product? The product was the biggest challenge because there's a lot of bars out in the market. There's a lot of co-manufacturers, so co-mans we call them, that make bars. But 30 of them told me, no, 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 we cannot make a bar with lots of fats and no binder, no sugar, no carbs. They're like, nope, sorry, can't work. I even had one owner of a co-man said he wouldn't even let my recipes be tested in his plant. So that was a bit of a devastating call, I have to admit. So it took a lot of trial and error, lots of failure. If I kind of fast forward, like nearly a year and 200 samples, lots and lots of failure, found one co-man that believed in the concept, but then couldn't make the product in the end, even after eight months of trying. So a full failed production run. And then by luck found another co-man, happened to be in Ontario. So I definitely believe I'm blessed and there was some good luck there. That's the partner that we've had from day one who's making our delicious Love Good Fats bars. What a story of reinvention, perseverance, that determination and drive, those qualities you find in most entrepreneurs, small business owners. Susie, we'll be back to connect on how you're building a network to help other entrepreneurs. But first we fly to Calgary, Alberta, known for the Calgary Stampede, Chinooks and cowboy hats. A cosmopolitan city with numerous skyscrapers that kind of owes its rapid growth to its status as the center of Canada's oil industry. However, its restaurants, shopping and attractions have been building the city's reputation as more than just its nickname of Cowtown. It is here that we find Blue Planet, a company born out of an idea that was out of sheer necessity. Devin Goss is the founder of Blue Planet Recycling and quite a change in careers for you. So let's start there. I was working as a financial planner for a large financial institution. I was looking for opportunities to exit, but I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do at that time. The city of Calgary rolled out the curbside collection program, which collected mixed recycling from all single family residences in the city. So a blue bin program that if you lived in a house, you would receive service from the city. And they did not provide that service to what they call multifamily residences. I lived with my wife in a condo building. And so we began looking for service providers who could offer the same service that the city was about to be providing for single family homes, but to multifamily residences and found out that there wasn't any. So I contacted a person I knew who was on the board at a larger building and I'd asked if they had a similar experience and they confirmed that there wasn't anybody at that time offering a duplicate service. So we sat down and we thought, okay, well, maybe there's an opportunity to start a company that could provide that service. And so that's where Blue Planet came from. And we began developing relationships with property management companies shortly thereafter and building it from the ground up. It was a a small startup and we started doing a lot of the work ourselves. What a huge change for you from the financial industry. However, I'm sure when you first started the business, as so many small businesses start, you're still working your full-time job. Yeah, it started with just myself and my partner collecting using his Jeep and a trailer that we bought and doing things manually ourselves on our time after work or during our lunch hours, that sort of thing. So we started really rudimentary. And then it took us probably two years before we really had any full-time staff 
A lot of the infrastructure was built up over the first three years and then that platform we built off of and of course I've gotten more into automated equipment now. You're an essential service, so from a work perspective you would have kept the operation the same. But was there other things that impacted you during the pandemic that is still difficult as we come out of it? Luckily, we are an essential service, so we weren't affected to the same extent that a lot of businesses were and a lot of small businesses were. On the residential side of things, we were impacted because all of a sudden a lot of people who had been working from offices, that waste was then transferred into the residential side of things. And the way we price and our, our pricing commitment is that we offer fixed rate pricing for our clients. So it doesn't vary in accordance with the volumes meaning that we were kind of impacted negatively by that increase of volume that came onto the residential side and that was totally unpredicted. So we did see some negative consequences from the pandemic, although certainly nothing that I would complain about considering how severe the impacts were on other sectors. For years we've been ingrained as a society that it is good for our environment for us to recycle and now we're being told Economically, it is not in our best interest to recycle because it would be cheaper just to throw it in the, in the landfill. Before we wrap up, are you seeing a fair amount of recycling happening? Because we, we often hear the stories that recycling is just going into the landfill. There are large, what's called materials recovery facilities in the city of Calgary that separate out all the recycling, harvest the high value commodities that are in there, take out the garbage and then send the lower value commodities to other processing facilities where they can benefit from bulking that together with the materials from other jurisdictions, and then it's reprocessed from there. But most of the materials processed here in the city of Calgary by Cascades Recovery, who is an arm of a paper company, so they're harvesting things like fibers, materials out of their recycling to, to make paper from, and then they take out the high value plastics and metal and things like that as well before shifting off some of the lower value commodities elsewhere. Well, what might be next for you? In the future, we are considering owning more aspects of our value chain and growing vertically. And one of the things we're looking very seriously at right now is making investments into processing for compostable organic waste because the access to processors here in our region is fairly limited. So we may have to start doing that ourselves and we think we can do that viably. Thanks, Devin. Love that our small business owners are always looking for the next thing they can do with their businesses, which is the entrepreneurial mindset. Across the country, we're seeing more and more women start their own companies. It's a trend that's driven by a handful of different factors. We've spoken to so many women-run businesses over the past year with inspiring stories. However, it is still a struggle for female business owners, and Susie York knows this firsthand. Susie, you spoke to us earlier about the drive and commitment you had that's made your business successful. Do you feel more doors are opening for women? Yeah, well, the world has certainly moved in the right direction to remove a lot of the barriers that women have had historically to be successful founders. That being said, we have a lot, a lot of work to still do. But certainly today, the conditions are better. It's still not easy. It's still not fair. And women are disproportionately more founders of brands, yet have anywhere from 2 to 10% of the funding. I'm an LGBT. I'm a lesbian woman in Canada, age 50. So probably women in my bucket have less than, I think, half a percent of the funding. 
It's very disproportionately skewed to a world still of male founders for many reasons. The doors are opening more, still lots of work to do. And that's why after about six years now, I've stepped aside from the CEO role in the last six months. And now what I'm doing is I started a small group of founders helping founders. We're not just women, but we're predominantly women. But we have a lot of male founders, too, that want to help each other. And for me, it's really, really important to give back. Raising funds and getting the resources you need when you're a founder is your lifeline. And it's really hard in Canada. It's really hard, period, but it's even harder in Canada. So I've started a little group. It's mostly Canadian. And, you know, we need to continue to help each other. I happen to have a brand that went from 159,000 the first four months in 2017 to 8.2 million to 47 million. And now we're, I think we're about at 150 million total sales since we started. So I'm very, very fortunate that my brand took off and I'm now in a position that I can give back. I'm still on the board. I'm still the largest shareholder, but I, you know, I can open up some time and give back. And that's what I want to do. I want to help change the landscape to make it easier for other founders to have a chance of building a sustainable brand that will make a difference in people's lives. So powerful. And for you to give back in this way, can you speak to Founders Helping Founders, the entrepreneurial network that you've started? It's critically important today for me to do what I can to support other women and to support other founders. I just came back from a weekend show at the CHFA in Vancouver. So the first event really post COVID and I'm still on a high, you know, I think I'm going to be on a high for a couple of months, just fueled by the couple of days. I started the founders helping founders really as just 10 of us. And I was just trying to get 10 of us. They all had emailed me, Everyone has the same challenges. They're all looking to me for help on funding and positioning and innovation and board. And I was like, oh, man, we should get together. It's all the same questions. I'm getting pitch decks. It's all the same thing. And now suddenly we have, I think, 180 members. So giving back is really, really key. And for sure, when you think about the members in that group, some are direct competitors. And that doesn't matter. There's no kind of big secrets that I'm wanting to keep. Our real competitors are the big, large consumer packaged goods companies. We're kind of fighting a really unfair battle, right? We have our fantastic idea. We don't have the fundings. We don't have the hundreds of thousands of employees, the hundreds of years and multiple hundreds of years when you multiply that by brand years experience. So we have to help each other. And each one of them had amazing stories. I learned from each one of them. We are exchanging stories on the brokers and the distributors and the retailers and the consumers. And the idea is, I mean, one founder has a product out and it's called Fat Bombs and it's in a pouch. And I took a picture and I posted it on LinkedIn. I'm like, oh my God, I have the exact same pouch. So she gave me some samples and now I'm enjoying them here and I'm going to do what I can to help her succeed. Susie, I'm sure you will help many succeed. I'd like you to think about advice you can give others who want to reinvent, start something new or just take their business to that next level. I'll come back to you shortly. 
But first, we get the scoop on poop. Exactly. We head to Winnipeg, Manitoba. Its heart is the Forks, a historic site at the intersection of the Red and Assiniboine Rivers. The streets are home to warehouses converted to shops and restaurants, and there are ample green spaces dedicated to festivals, concerts, and exhibits. Early 20th century architecture and numerous art galleries can be seen in the well-preserved Exchange District. And Winnipeg is home to Diaper Hero, a cloth diaper business run by Janelle Zielinski. Janelle, I've listened to some pretty neat career reinventions before and during the pandemic, but yours might top the list. So tell me how you went from your job at the airport to Diaper Hero. I was working as a bag screener at the Winnipeg airport. We heard about COVID in January. Everyone was talking about it. And then we found ourselves all getting laid off that week with just how fast everything kind of hit. Travelers in airports around the world are finding themselves stranded this morning after many countries instituted travel restrictions. After a couple of months of just sitting around on CERB wondering how long this was going to last and what I was going to do, I was talking to my partner about our theoretical future children. And she was like, oh, well, what are we going to do about diapers? Diapers are disgusting. Like, diaper waste is just nasty. Why would we use them? I'm like, oh, it's cool. We'll just use a diaper service. It's fine. And I went to Google it to show her. And I was like, oh, Winnipeg doesn't have a diaper service. Well, it's not like I'm doing much right now. And then that led to me writing out a business plan, getting in touch with Futurepreneur, getting the loans we needed, did a little bit of discussion with our local Women's Entrepreneur Center. And here we are now, about nine months in. I'm intrigued by the fact that currently you don't have children, but in the process of talking about kids, that leads to diapers, which leads to diaper services, which leads to finding out Winnipeg doesn't have a service, so you pivot and start one. What are you doing to enhance your business? So we're working on an app to kind of keep everything in the same app, and then it would send them reminders instead of me having to remember to send them reminders. Old diaper services often, they would just drop all your diapers off in a plastic bag, which is not something we should be doing as the plastic problem becomes more and more of an issue, especially with the amount of funding the federal government is putting into reducing our output of plastic. It just seemed like a no-brainer to be using reusable bags for our diaper service. So we got diaper pails and bags that are made specifically to fit those diaper pails. So when I drop off the clean diapers, they take the clean diapers out of their new bag and then they put the new bag inside the diaper pail and they put all their dirty ones in it. So As soon as collection day comes, they just zip tie their bag shut and put it on the porch. And then we sanitize those bags with the diapers all in the same wash. So it works out really well for us. Our washing machine is also programmed to use as little water as possible. And it's very efficient in terms of removing the amount of water that come out of the diapers. So it also reduces our drying time, which is also less gas and less energy use. So it's about as efficient as you can get without us designing a whole new washing machine just for cleaning diapers, which is also something I would like to do one day. (laughs) I looked into it, and according to Stats Canada's most recent information, in 2016, there were 1.9 million diaper-aged children in Canada. That equates to 2.4 billion individual diapers entering Canadian landfills per year, amounting to more than 3.7 million tons of waste. 
That number increases annually by about 2%, which would put it to over 4 million tonnes today. Really fantastic, Janelle, that you're working to reduce that number. We produce very little waste at Diaper Hero. As a business, you don't just have trash picked up from your business, I learned. You have to pay for a dumpster and pick up and that sort of thing. And the amount of trash that we have is like maybe one garbage bag every month. So it costs $485 a month to have your dumpster emptied once a month. And I was like, I don't even fill up a trash can. So we've just been sorting our trash as much as possible to reduce our impact and we recycle what needs to be recycled and whatever's left we just take to the dump every couple of months because it's such a small amount. Let's talk a bit about the diapers and how you've sourced them. There is a local manufacturer in Winnipeg called AMP Diapers and they have been in business for over a decade and they've been producing diaper covers and they've been outsourcing cotton diapers for as long as they've been in business. So we get organic cotton diapers from a local manufacturer. So you have that local connection helping the community. The more people we can help reduce their diaper waste, the more charitable donations we can do with Diaper Hero. Right now on the side, we're collecting some used cloth diapers from people who aren't using them anymore. And we've been building up a bit of a stock because we're the only place in Winnipeg, as it happens, that accepts used cloth diapers because cloth diapers do require a pretty involved washing regimen because we have the washing machines and the products we need to strip them of any residual chemicals or bacteria and that sort of thing. And I've been trying to put together a team of people who are able to do repairs. And we've been working with a charity from Ontario who has been guiding us in how to put these packages together. And sometimes they get requests from Manitoba, so they forward them over to us. And we've been working on getting those out to people. But I would like to be able to spend more time putting these packages together, holding drives, holding events that would attract more people to this cause. I can hear the passion you have for the work you're doing and for sustainable solutions. Such an important role business plays in the future of our world. I've always been fairly environment-minded. I've always felt that I'm never doing enough. And my partner is a scientist with backgrounds in mathematics, science, and physics, and that sort of thing. So we put our heads together, and we like looked at how many babies are born in Winnipeg every year. And we looked about how many are in diapers. The whole city of Winnipeg would probably put out, according to our calculations, about five and a half Olympic swimming pools of dirty diapers every year, which is an entire mountain of garbage. <laughs> so I thought it was really important and wouldn't most people want to just make one easy switch to keep 1400 pounds of plastic trash microplastic producing crud out of the landfills and this just seemed like a no-brainer to me to bring it in a new way to people who have this need or desire to reduce their waste and improve the health of their baby by not exposing them to all kinds of harsh absorbents and dyes and other chemicals that have been shown to cause irritation and worse. Before we wrap up, is there a message that you'd like to end with when it comes to the social responsibility we all have? If you're not in some way being of service to your community around you, just what are you doing? Why are you even here? 
I think it's important because there's a bit of a big mess that we got to take care of and in some ways it needs to happen sooner or later and the culture needs to shift and the culture is not going to shift unless there are people actually taking up space and doing so and making an example of what they're doing and showing other people what they're doing and creating like a social movement. You just kind of want to influence people by doing things that make you feel good and are important. That's just one of my own personal mandates or mantras. Try and do your best for others as much as you can. Think about what mattered to you when the pandemic first started compared to what matters to you today. Your own beliefs, your own ideas, your own risk calculator that we all carry in our heads right now, all of that has changed. The pandemic kind of opened the door to this new opportunity, so maybe a good thing for setting you onto a new path. If a pandemic hadn't happened, the project might have been in the works, the idea might have occurred to me, but I wouldn't have had X months of being able to put together a project with virtually no interruptions. I believe that pandemic was a bit of a blessing and a curse to us because I'm not sure that we would exist had it not happened, but it definitely threw a lot of wrenches and gotten our gears when it came to our limited funds that we had to open. You have an amazing concept and love that you're trying to make a difference. All you can do is put one foot in front of the other and keep moving forward. Fingers crossed every night. Every morning when I wake up, it's like, okay, what are we going to do to get a step ahead here? (laughs) Good luck with everything, Janelle. In listening to Janelle's story and the struggles she's had as a new small business owner, we can easily link that to many other business owners out there trying to make a go of it. So back to Susie York, CEO of Love Good Fats and the driving force behind Founder Helping Founder, a group of entrepreneurs helping each other succeed. Susie, you've been there on the ground level, working to make your small business successful, and you're looking to create that support system now with Founders Helping Founders. One of the main reasons I think founders do really well is that we have a great idea, we're passionate about the idea, we become the subject expert matter of the idea, and the idea, especially with all the female founders, is often one that is rooted in solving some deep unmet needs. We want a better planet, we want life better for our kids, and we want to put better nutrition in our bodies. So you have all of these founders that have these missions, and it's all one connected circle. So that being said, I worked the six corporate head offices. I was in the ivory towers. I would sit behind glass windows and listen to consumers. And then I became a founder and I stood at every single health food store in Canada with my pink apron, doing demos, talking to consumers. I went to hundreds and hundreds of shows. I've spoken to hundreds of thousands of consumers now. You know, Boston Marathon, I spoke to 30,000 consumers. I handed out samples myself. And that grassroots work, it's paid off. You as the founder of the company, being out there, That makes a difference. I visited myself 86 whole food stores in the U.S. and I stood there and I talked to the staff. I handed out samples. I talked to the consumers. I helped the demo people do demos. And then I went to see some more. So 
When you're a founder, you're living, breathing, you're with your consumer. Every single idea I got, I started with two flavors and we wind up launching 12 and we launched shakes and now we're launching some chocolates. Every single idea has come from the consumer. You know, the consumer's coming up to the booth and she's saying, hey, I want plant-based and hey, I want gluten-free because initially we weren't gluten-free. And then, hey, I don't like this ingredient in because initially we had one or two ingredients that you know, we put in that we didn't realize, oh wait, you know, consumers don't want those ingredients in. So the founders are living, breathing authentic in the stores and then with your consumers. And I think that's the magic of why we do so well. And then, you know, why the large companies then, you know, want to try to acquire us because they're like, we can't seem to do that. Let's kind of have, you know, someone bootstrapping it and working it with wet and tears for years in the market and then growing a big brand and then get acquired because it's not easy. It's like a lot of work and you got to be passionate. And when we're driven by a mission, which we all are, that's where the passion comes from. Through perseverance, ingenuity, desire, creativity, and maybe a little pandemic push, small business is reinventing itself in this country. Whether it's the gluten-free vegan bakery, the garbage recycling retrieval, or the one great idea that sells millions, every day people are reinventing and creating new small business pathways. Thank you, Jaden Joel, Devin, Janelle, and Susie for your stories and insight. Now head out the door. There's an amazing local business just waiting for you to explore. And thank you to all the people in our communities who nominated them for Amplify Canada. Each episode of Amplify Canada, we introduce a local musician. This episode, we feature alt-pop singer and songwriter FKA Rain. She was the face of Amazon Music's Artist to Watch 2020 list for her song, Bored. And now FKA Rain is learning what it means to make music she loves. FKA Rain, how did music come into your life? I've been doing music since I was nine years old, performing at singing contests and doing what made me happy. And I started songwriting when I was around 11. And in 2017 or 2018, I signed with my first manager and started writing original music and releasing it in 2019. And I've been doing it ever since. You started with pop and now you're trying different genres. I did pop music for a really long time, but it wasn't initially what I wanted to do. When I started releasing music as Rain, it just was what I was kind of asked to do. But you know, like I'd always been really inspired by a lot of alternative music. I grew up listening to a lot of alternative and rock and things like that. And that's what I've always kind of wanted to release and do. So yeah, I decided finally I was going to switch over and make that dream a reality. We've been talking about reinvention. Do you think you'll keep reinventing yourself? I think now this is the best fit for me. Five years from now, I might have a totally different thing that I'm doing but this is where I feel the most comfortable and happy now. I'm so fulfilled with what I'm currently doing and I feel like I'll be that way forever, but you never know, right? Like we aren't static beings as humans. We constantly are evolving and changing and I hate to be like, it's all a phase, but everything kind of is. There's certain things that really stick with you and I hope this is one of those things, but you never know. I might suddenly get really into country for some reason. I haven't been before, but who knows? <laughs> Love it when you lie. Where did that song come from? 
I wrote with my good friend and collaborator Tavish Crow. He's a super, super great guy. And I wanted to write a song about wanting someone to lie to you because it's better than the truth. Even if you know it's not true, you want to hang on to something just for a little bit longer, just to squeeze a little bit more happiness out of it. And so that day when I wanted to write with Tavish, I was like, I've been wanting to write a song called Lie for the longest time. And he was like, oh my God, me too. And we just did it. And it felt like really good doing it. It was a lot of fun. So what's next for you, FKA Rain? World tour. I'd love that, <laughs> please. I'm going to be releasing lots of more music, continuing on the alternative road. Lots of shows and music and music videos and working my butt off as much as possible. <laughs> that hard work will pay off. Here's FK Rain with Love It When You Lie. Would you stop for a second? Let me tell you what's on my mind. I got lost in the tension. What does honesty even feel like? Love It When You Lie by FKA Rain. You can find her at fkarain.com on YouTube and Spotify. You've been listening to Amplify Canada, an initiative created by Patterson Media, designed to celebrate and elevate small businesses, the backbone of our communities. For more information on this program, go to pattersonmedia.com. This is a presentation of Pattison Media.